Good morning, Journey. Nice to see you all. My name's Chris. That was a really good good morning back. Thanks for that. Appreciate that. Uh, I'm excited to be with all of you today as we have finally reached the conclusion of the series that we've been calling The Kingdom is Like. We're not reaching the conclusion because we think there isn't more to be said or understood or embraced about the kingdom of God. We just know at some point we have to shift the conversation to something else. So we hope and we pray that while we end the conversation about what the kingdom is like today, that that we all would continue to pray and live into what it means to be citizens of the kingdom, those who serve King Jesus. So don't let that leave your focus. But we will wrap up our series. And as we do that and conclude today, we're, we're going to sp- pay special attention to what it means to be a leader in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to lead as people in the kingdom of God? Or as we've just been talking about, what does it look like to leverage our influence as kingdom citizens? So what we're going to do is we're going to first look at an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples in which he takes special intentional care in communicating what is expected of leaders in the kingdom of God. So I'm going to read Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28 for us. Then we're going to pray that the Spirit would teach us, and then we'll dive in one last time to the backwards ways of the kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming. So here we go. Here's the encounter in Matthew 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together here this morning. I pray that as we come and fill this space that we would never take it for granted. How great the opportunity is for us to be together as a family of God and to to sing and to pray, to worship, to open up the scripture together. God, that is a, a beautiful thing and a beautiful picture of what it means to be the family of God. And so I pray this morning that as we welcome you, you are already present, you are already moving, you are already active. We invite you to speak to us. Teach us, Spirit. Guide us. Soften our hearts to receive, again, the hard teachings of your son, Jesus. And may we take them into the the depths of our being so that we might live them out as citizens of the kingdom in this world. God, I pray for myself that you would give me your words to speak this morning. 
I pray that I would not say anything that's not for you or from you, God, and that everything that we do together today would make much of you, would honor you and bring you glory. We love you so much. We thank you for loving us and it's in your name we pray, amen. So for the sake of being on the same page, let me just say one more time about leadership. Leadership means influence. Seems like the Global Leadership Summit made that very clear in their video that that leadership means influence. And if this is true, and I think it is, then we must humbly ask God to help us use the influence he's granted us. Like that's the beginning of the process. It's a bold prayer to pray though. Because leadership is often associated with upward mobility, the place of highest honor, you could say, as James and John thought it was. And so by acknowledging that we have influence and leadership, we are now wrestling with our own desires to be noticed and elevated. And it seems that Jesus has something to say about this. So if you are in fact bold enough to pray that prayer, begin praying it now that God would let you see how to use your influence. And we'll see how the spirit teaches us and navigates us through this portion of scripture together because I think there's something beautiful for every single one of us on the other side. So here we are again, back in Matthew 20. Here's how it goes, right? There's James and John. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons which is already an interesting scenario that we have before us, right? Because again, every time we read the text, let's not just look at it as flat words on the page, let's enter into the story and then we can giggle as we watch James and John bring their mother before Jesus to ask on their behalf this. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, Please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. So here we have the mother of James and John kneeling before Jesus as they stand by and let her ask this question. Obviously, their mother is a woman who was polite and apparently reverent and respectful, And it actually would be that culturally at this time, there were things that an older woman could say that other people could not. And it seems that James and John knew this. And so they brought along their mother. However, Jesus doesn't respond to her directly. We actually never even hear of her again in this entire interaction. Instead, he directs the answer to all of them, which I would presume meant, I know what you're up to, James and John. Let me share with you what's actually going on here. So here's what he says. But Jesus answered by saying to them, and hold on a second, I just, is she still kneeling? Right, like I, I, the scenario is just so intriguing to me because we'll find out later too, right? The other disciples are nearby. They know what's going on as well. So do we have the mother of James and John still kneeling before Jesus as Jesus says this to them? You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied. We are able. And here again, we find that Jesus meets their question with a question. Are you able? 
And I love that they just quickly reply with gusto, right? Like, yeah, we're able. We're gonna take whatever it is that we're taking, right? Like they, they don't even know what they're saying. But there's something in them when they say that we are able that seems to me to not so much be because their hearts are bold and that they're with Jesus, but because their egos are ignorant of the trials that await them. They don't know what it actually means to align themselves on the right and the left with Jesus. They speak from a place of unknowing and inexperience. To them, the suffering of death seems to be a light thing. Because you'll remember that Jesus knew what this cup of suffering was about, right? When he entered into the trial of his own suffering, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he knows the time is upon him in which he will be crucified. And he says to the father, he says, father, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me. This same cup of suffering he was talking to the disciples about. So how much more then would the disciples not have said, we are able if they had known what the trial of death was like. That's not typically what you sign up for. They did not yet know what they didn't know, but Jesus knows. And he also knows that now's not the time in which they will grasp the ways in which they will suffer and die. And so he abdicates this moment to the father in a beautiful display of redirection. Here's what he told them. You will indeed drink from my bitter cup. He doesn't deny that this will be true, even as they claim they are able. He says this though, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. He redirects the whole thing. Obviously it would seem that it's better to not be like these disciples and seeking honor in this way. That is not the way we want to align ourselves because now we know how the story unfolds. We know where it ends. The Spirit's revealed the fullness of what happens to Jesus, what happens to his followers. We have a picture of it. And yet here we are in the real life scenario of this whole exchange playing out. Jesus is left to navigate this group of disciples and the relationships connected to him. Potentially there's mothers around as well. And he's got to figure out now how to reunite them together once these two have separated themselves from the rest. And so he doesn't say to James and John, this will not happen. Right? Because that would have, again, excluded them from the group. But how much more, though, would the others have been disturbed if their request had been accepted, right? How, how do you think those other 10 would have responded if Jesus said, yes, those two spots are saved for you, James and John? So Jesus neither said, you will not sit to James and John, because that would have confused them. But he also didn't say, you will sit, because that would have angered the rest. Look at how he pays attention to the needs of the entire group. So what did Jesus say? He says, this is not mine to grant to you, but the father, it's the father's. This is brilliant leadership on the part of Jesus. 
He keeps the love of the brotherhood intact. It was about to split and fracture. And he draws them back in. So watch what he does next. Verse 24, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. And I think at first brush, we're like, yeah, what are those guys doing asking for that? That's not what it's supposed to be. When in fact, they were all like, oh, why didn't I ask that first? Right, like that's what they were all seeking, the place of honor next to Jesus. But Jesus called them together. Again, you just put yourself in this scenario. We've got these two who've come with their mother asking for this thing. Right, the others are indignant. These two have separated themselves. So what does Jesus do? He calls them all together. What is spiritually and relationally fracturing, he physically draws back together so that the the physical experience might align to what's needed in their own lives. He draws them all in that very moment and he calms them by his invitation to come near, which we know to be so true of the way of Jesus that he calls us to come near. And when he does this, you have to picture James and John standing nearby Jesus. They've already separated themselves from the others. And over here you have the 10 who are indignant that they would even ask such a thing. And he brings them all near to him as Jesus is always prone to do. And by this very unifying act, what he does is he calms the passions of the two and the 10 and he exposes and reveals all of their pleas in front of everyone. And they are now reunited to hear what it is he says next. And so he calls them together and here's what he says as he's putting back together his group of followers. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life is a ransom for many. Imagine the magnitude of this teaching in that moment in which they were separating themselves from one another, trying to climb the ladder of upward mobility. In this moment of kingdom teaching, Jesus removes the envy of one side and the arrogance of the other. For those have no place among the leadership in the kingdom of God. His response though is like many things that Jesus says. It's not easy. Even as he's re-knitting these relationships together, his call is not easy. And sometimes I think we just have to pray that God would convince us that Jesus actually means these things. Because Jesus says, among you, It will be different. It will be different. 
As one of my professors in seminary, Mary Kate Morse taught me, she said, even though Jesus often spoke about the kingdom of God, he did not use language describing himself as king. Instead, Jesus talked about the least being the greatest, about humbling ourselves and serving each other. What he talked about was being a servant. Jesus even resists the desire to for people to make him king. He says, that's not who I am. And this leads him all the way downward to the point that he's actually mocked as being the king of the Jews. Once again, Jesus' life models what he teaches. Because in effect, Jesus is saying again, look at what I do and suffer. Because I bet this teaching rang so true and hit home as Jesus, in fact, lived it out in the real world. He says, look at what I do and suffer. Let the proof of my teaching be my life, for I have done what I've asked of you. The only way into the kingdom is to follow Jesus there. So what of you and your influence? How do you become this kingdom leader that Jesus describes and models. Because I think we can hear this story and watch this interaction and be like, yeah, I can't believe those silly disciples. We're like, yeah, we need to be servants. And then that's the end of what we do. We don't ask what that actually means for us, how we actually leverage the influence we've been granted. And so the way of kingdom living is we must go down before we can go up. The early church father, John Chrysostom, wisely says this. You need not be too annoyed if your honor is cast down. No matter how much it is lowered, you will not descend as far as your Lord descended. And yet the deep descent of one has become the ascent of all. His glory shines forth from these very depths. As we go down, we join Jesus in his descent, knowing that he's already gone before us. And we never go as far as he had to go. And that's the way in which we follow him back out. So as much as we can try, we can't be afraid of our honor being put down like it was for James and John. Instead, we should be ready to have ourselves humiliated because as we become less, it's there that we find the door of the kingdom. At the bottom, we find for ourselves the door that leads to the kingdom of God. So don't go the opposite way of that door. Or to, to just put it plainly, if we desire to appear great, we will not be great but we'll actually end up being the most dishonored of all. It's all so backwards in the kingdom of God. And so at the bottom of ourselves, we find the door of the kingdom. And the only way we can enter in is with true humility. Humility that models the way of Jesus. To give us another picture of that, Augustine paints a great picture when he says this. He says, observe a tree. How it first tends downwards that it may then shoot forth upwards 
It fastens its roots low in the ground that it may send forth its top towards heaven. Is it not from humility that it endeavors to rise? But without humility, it will not attain to higher things. You are wanting to grow up into the air without a root. Such is not growth, but a collapse. A picture of a tree going down. Because here's the thing. Following Jesus doesn't make us normal in this world. It just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to the world. It makes us outsiders. And this seems to be what he longs for his disciples to know to the core of their being, that you cannot act like those in this world. That is not how you are to lead. There is no place in which you will be elevated. There are only the places in which you reach the bottom and serve in humility. And yet, even as he teaches us and we begin to say, okay, I'll be a servant because I know that's what my heart is inclined to do too. Okay, I'm convinced, I'll be a servant. We find that our ego fights back because no one actually wants to be treated like a servant. We'll say it, we'll announce it, but the life that follows after that is not typically one that we sign up for. And so then it becomes, how do we know if this is real in us? Well, often our humility towards others is really the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real. With whatever amount of influence we have, we must ask, who are we serving? So that our humility that we claim before the Lord can be acted out in the presence of others. What does it look like to lead in our world today? For you in your place where you are right now with the influence you have, because we all have some. I would say, look for those in need of serving. Look for those in need of serving and go to those places and leverage your influence for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. And as we embrace what it means to be servant leaders in the kingdom of God, And I believe that as you ask God who you must serve, he will answer you. He will show you, you will find yourself in places in which you can lay your life down for the other. But as it stands in this present moment, like today, June 24th, 2018, I find myself wrestling with this very thing. I find myself face to face with the cries of the current crisis on our southern border as families seeking asylum are being torn apart from one another. And I start to hear these words afresh wrapped in present day trappings as my heart grieves and I work to righteously wrestle with my anger. Here are the words that I hear afresh. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm saying to myself that I will serve with my feet and my phone calls and my voice and my prayers and my love and my relationships and my ears. That's what I want to do. And so I've been praying this prayer this week. I've been praying, God, hear our prayers. We pray for the church in the US to love our neighbors in ways we haven't seen before. We pray that the church will mobilize to advocate for our neighbors. We pray that they will not be bound by politics, but be liberated in the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. A freedom that moves the church to confront injustice and to seek the well-being of our neighbors. We believe that the church can still be a light in the darkness. We ask that the church will shine upon our immigrant community. Raise up leaders in the church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me leave us with these words from Therese of Lisieux. She says, you are wanting to climb a great mountain and the good God is trying to make you descend it. He is waiting for you at the bottom in the fertile valley of humility. Oh, that God would grow us into spirit-filled, fruitful people, rooted in humility so that we might grow up out of that fertile valley into his kingdom people, servants for all. I'm gonna give you some moments to just be still before God as he gets the, the last word of our time together this morning. Ask him what it might mean for you to descend into the fertile valley of humility. Ask him what it might mean for you to leverage and steward the influence you've been granted? What does it look like for you to be a leader in the kingdom of God? I'll close this in a moment. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forgive us for all the times we've used our authority and influence and leadership in ways that are not becoming of citizens of your kingdom. Forgive us for the times in which we've longed to be noticed and elevated for our own sake and not yours. God, I am reminded of the picture of Jesus bringing children to himself and saying that we must become like them for the kingdom is theirs. Humble, innocent, in need, let us come before you like that, Lord. And I thank you for your son, Jesus, 
who while he stands before the disciples in this encounter, telling them to lay their lives down, that it's not for him to decide who would be on his right and his left, that this Jesus, our King, shows us what this looks like lived out to the fullest. As he hangs from the cross and he has not chosen who is on his right and his left as he is crucified next to two thieves. Thank you that your son Jesus shows us the way. That the way down is the way up. God, we thank you for his saving death. And we thank you that Jesus did not stay dead, that you raised him to new life by the power of your Holy Spirit, the same spirit that now lives in us. And this is the only way that we can truly lead in the kingdom of God and the way in which you call us. May we trust your spirit's guiding as you lead us into places that push us outside of our comfort, outside of our ego's desire to be elevated to the highest places of honor. Humble us, Lord. This is a scary prayer, but we pray it boldly today so that we might be servants of all for you and your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.